Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Welcome everyone to the Hooked on Movies podcast. Today, we will be looking at the 1983 release Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. With me as always are Ken. Daiwanawanga. Ted. Ken's more machine now than man. Twisted right. and evil. He's got Clearly. it right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm Eric. It's a trap! From my favorite salamander. We're talking Return of the Jedi. Ted, give us the details of this one. Okay, Return of the Jedi was directed by Richard Marquand with a screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. It has a running time of 132 minutes. It was released May 25th, 1983. It had a budget of $42.7 million and a box office gross of $482 million. Return of the Jedi stars Mark Hamill, reprising his role as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford back as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Leia Organa, Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, David Prowse as Darth Vader, James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, Frank Oz as Yoda, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan, and new to the cast, Ian McDermott, as the Emperor, and Warwick Davis as Wicket. Okay. What did the critics think of this one, especially compared to the other two? It's still a certified fresh critic score on Rotten Tomatoes of 83%, so a little bit lower than our our first two Star Wars movies, and has an audience score of 94%. On the negative side, there's a couple I found. Vincent Canby of the New York Times, we've discussed him before, He said the old Star Wars gang are back doing what they've done before, but this time with a certain evident boredom. And Arthur Knight of The Hollywood Reporter said, Unfortunately, it conveys the sense that the machinery has already started to wear down and the inventiveness to wear thin. On the positive side, we had Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune. He said the film is a huge, rousing finale that resolves all plot twists, settles all accounts, reunites old friends, and sweeps to a climax that all but blows the theater apart. And of course, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times said, At the end of it all, after the three movies, we've taken an epic fantasy journey. Lucas has in common with all great storytellers the ability to create a complete world. These films may spring from space opera, science fiction, and Saturday serials, but they are done so superbly that they transcend all genres and become a reverberating place in our imaginations. Anything from Gene Siskel? I couldn't find Gene. The one little blurb I found from Gene Siskel was just a generic. There was nothing interesting. And of course, unfortunately, the Chicago Tribune has not curated all of uh, Gene Siskel's movie reviews. Okay. Nothing as interesting as the last two, where they actually included something interesting from him. It's a real crying shame that somebody has not curated his critiques like 
Chaz Ebert has done for Roger. Well, you got a job to do there, Ted. Yeah, maybe. So, Ken, when was uh, the first time you saw this movie? I would have saw the Sun Cable. My dad didn't take us to go see this one. He took us to see the first two. I think I got the comic book that told the story of the movie before I actually saw the movie. And, of course, this is the one that I actually I started getting a lot of toys for. I didn't get a lot of toys from the first two movies, but this movie, yeah, there was a lot of toys. Because there was a lot of different toys that came out with this one. A lot of marketing on this one. I do remember that. This and uh, G.I. Joe, big, and Transformers, I think we're out too in 83. So a lot of marketing. How about uh, you, Ted? This is the first movie that my dad ever took me to. Really? Um, Yeah, it would have been towards the end of its run in the theater. But I I remember my dad taking me. I remember everything about that night. It was amazing. Because like Ken had said, I had started to get the toys. I had the figures and everything, and I would play with them like I would play with my G.I. Joes. Played with this Princess Leia doll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's one of those great memories that I have. And because of that, I think I've probably seen Return of the Jedi. Definitely probably not more than Empire Strikes Back. It's pretty close. Well, for me, I saw this movie on cable, too. I I honestly don't remember when, probably 84, because usually in those days, it took a good year for that stuff to get the cable. But I I do remember, what, being 10-ish in that age and just loving this movie. Yeah, like you, man. You're 10 years old. You've got G.I. Joe. you got Hot Wheels. you got baseball cards. you got all the fun stuff of growing up that I remember. But uh, you probably had this. For all your little action heroes... You had the carrying case, which is yep. Darth Vader's head that folded open, and you just put them in their little cubby holes there. Yep. Yeah, I, oh, I had that one. Yeah. I think we all did, man. I wish I still had that. And I still have one of the, the greatest Christmas presents I ever got. I came out Christmas morning. The Millennium Falcon was there. Wow. And How about that? My mom and dad got me the Millennium Falcon. I still have it in storage right now. But, yeah, that was an amazing. I had a, a friend of mine who uh, – had the uh, G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. So you know, he was, was like the one Six that had feet it. long. Yeah. Thing was just massive. Yes. I had a lot of G.I. Joe things, but I didn't even have the aircraft carrier. And I No one had the aircraft carrier. I know, right? Everybody it was the size like, of a car. Yeah, it was huge. It was it was kinda of, and I bring that up because it was like the Millennium Falcon. I knew no everyone had like the AT-ATs and uh right. you know, all the X Wing fighters and stuff, but no one had the Millennium Falcon. Except I, that Ted. was that was cool. I had too many stormtroopers. That's what I all I remember. I just had a ton of stormtroopers. Really? Ken's over here invading Poland. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Playing with Luke uh, Skywalker's uh, lightsaber that went up. And back I remember into that. His, yeah. Into his yeah. hand. Yeah. 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 Those were the days, man. Simple toys, but they were so cool to play with. If you had that retractable lightsaber like that for the figure now, that little piece is worth good money. Dang. Crazy, man. I used to actually collect Return of the Jedi cards. Yeah. Like baseball I still, cards. I still have some of those. I got the Star Wars. I still have those cards, actually. I've, actually, I, I have, think I still have some of them, too. I have yeah. all my baseball cards. I have some of those. I don't know if they're valuable or anything, but... They just have um, scenes of movies on scenes them. Scenes of the movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, Ken, it is your turn now to tell us the plot of this movie. So anyone who's been sitting under a rock for the last 40 years and has never seen it, now you can tell them about it. 
A year after Han Solo is captured, C-3PO and R2-D2 enter crime lord Jabba the Hutt's palace on Tatooine. They are sent in a trade bargain made by Luke Skywalker to rescue Han, who is still frozen in carbonite. Disguised as a bounty hunter, Princess Leia infiltrates the palace under the pretense of having captured Chewbacca and unfreezes Han, but is caught and then enslaved. Luke soon arrives to bargain for his friend's release, but Jabba drops him through a trapdoor to be eaten by a rancor. After Luke kills it, Jabba sentences him and Han and Chewbacca to death by being fed to a sarlacc. Having hidden his new green lightsaber inside R2-D2, Luke frees himself and his friends. The group battles Jabba's men aboard the sail barge. During the chaos, Boba Fett falls into the Sarlacc after Han inadvertently damages Boba Fett's jetpack. Meanwhile, Leia strangles Jabba to death with her chains. After destroying Jabba's sail barge, the group escapes. As the others rendezvous with the Rebel Alliance, Luke returns to complete his Jedi training with Yoda, whom he discovers is dying. Yoda confirms that Darth Vader is Luke's father, check the last episode if you didn't hear that before, and reveals that there is another Skywalker before vanishing and becoming one with the Force. Obi-Wan Kenobi's Force spirit tells Luke that Leia is his twin sister, and that, yes, you kissed your sister, and that he must face Vader again to finish his training and defeat the Empire. The Alliance learns that the Empire has been constructing a second Death Star, because the first Death Star works so well, under the supervision of the Emperor. The, the station is protected by an energy shield on the forest moon of Endor. To destroy its generator, Han leads a strike team which includes Luke, Leia, and Chewbacca. Using a stolen Imperial shuttle to arrive undetected, the team encounters a tribe of Ewoks. They're these little furry guys who were cost-efficient. Later, Luke tells Leia that she is his sister and Vader is their father. Surrounding two Imperial troops, he is brought before Vader and fails to convince him to reject the dark side of the Force. Luke is brought to the Emperor, who intends to turn him to the dark side, and reveals that his friends and rebel fleet are headed into a trap. On Endor, Han's team is captured by Imperial forces, but a counterattack by Ewoks allows the rebels to infiltrate the shield generator. Meanwhile, Lando Carissian and Admiral Akbar lead the rebel assault on the Death Star finding its shield still active and the Imperial feet waiting for them. The Emperor reveals to Luke that the Death Star is fully operational and orders the firing of the super laser, destroying a rebel starship. He tempts Luke to give in to his anger. Luke attempts to attack him, but Vader intervenes, and the two engage in a lightsaber duel. Vader senses that Luke has a sister and threatens to turn her to the dark side if Luke does not. In retaliation, Luke defeats Vader, severing his prosthetic hand. The Emperor orders Luke to take Vader's place, but Luke refuses, declaring himself to be a Jedi, like his father before him. Enraged, the Emperor starts torturing Luke with Force Lightning. Unwilling to let his son die, Vader betrays the Emperor by throwing him down a reactor shaft to his death. At Vader's final request is that Luke removes his mask, so he can see his son with his own eyes. Then the redeemed Anakin Skywalker dies. After the strike team destroys the shield generator, Lando leads the rebel fighters into the Death Star's core, while the rebel fleet destroys the Imperial command ship. Lando and the X-Wing fighter pilot Wedge destroy the Death Star's main reactor and escape before the station explodes. On Endor, Luke cremates his father's body and reunites with his friends. As the rebels celebrate their victory, Luke notices the four spirits of Obi-Wan, Yoda, 
and Anakin watching nearby. The end. Thank you, Ken, for that descriptive details of the movie. Even if there was some editorializing going on in there. Just a little bit. That's okay. We're going to do a little bit. I had a lot more to say about certain things like the Ewoks, but I'm waiting. So that was like non-union labor there on Endor? Yep. <laughs> that kind of thing? Yeah. Pain That's why the Death Star wasn't completed completely right. was because of union labor, labor issues. Yeah. Part shortages. It happens. You figure how long it took them to build the original Death Star. Like 20 years. It took like 20 years. They would have been building the second Death Star while the first one was getting blown up because they're that far along. I mean, it's over half completed. So you would think that they would have started building it like right around the time of the first Death Star being operational. Once they figured out that it was operational, because we realized that in Rogue One, that it's operational. That means that they started building a second one right after that. A lot of the critics and a lot of the people who've criticized Return of the Jedi are very critical of the fact that it's a second Death Star. It's not something else. My question to that would be, what did you want it to be? What is the issue with it being a second one? They say it's lazy writing. It's just rehashing something. And Not it's really. basically a, just rehashing the the first movie. I think there's some point to that, because even critics of The Force Awakens kind of says the same thing about... Well, The Force Awakens really is Star Wars redone. Most people admit that. To me, it's it makes sense that they're going to build a second Death Star, because the first one won, it worked. And second of all, not only did it work, all you have to do is correct one small problem, then nobody's going to be able to defeat it. And now they know what the first one's Achilles heel was. And it sounded like they didn't really have a plan to really finish this anytime soon. We find out later that the Emperor planned this all out when he figured out that there was a chance to get the Rebel Alliance to come in and try to destroy it early. I think that's why the timetable at the beginning of this movie is sped up as far as getting that Death Star operational. Because they're expecting that attack mm-hmm. to come. And I think that's when we get the hurry up. What would have played out a little bit better is if Empire Strikes Back would have alluded here and there that they were building a new one. Just kind of a little here and there to set up that there's going to be another Death Star. But at the same time, I can understand why people get frustrated with another Death Star because you want to see something new. What would it look like? Maybe it would have been the same type of thing, but maybe it would have been the Death Cube or the Death Triangle. Something different than what that they already did. Maybe a cube would be better better suited. Kind of like the, the Borg. The Death Egg. The Death Egg. Yeah, I think it does exactly what it's supposed to do. The people that criticize it are overthinking it. And instead of just going with the story, would rather take the time to criticize it when they really don't have an opinion of what it should be you know when i first saw this movie in 83 or 84 i thought as a kid that that was the original death star and it just when it blew up no 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 i thought that maybe when it blew up it didn't entirely blow up oh okay like part of it blew out but the amount like when it blows up you think the whole thing blows up but actually gotcha. only that part of it blew up. That would have made more sense, though. It would have. would have been a better movie. It actually does. I mean, when we get to this Death Star, I mean, we got Vader coming in, and he's talking to the general about the Emperor coming. Right off the bat, I get a sense that Darth Vader is not as a baddie as he once was. He's mellowed a little bit, and now the Emperor has become the badass. 
doesn't that feel like that to you when he goes, I'm here to get you back on sh- on schedule, but he's like, I'm a little bit easier going than the Emperor is, so you, you know, you're lucky you get me and not him. I don't think it's at this point yet. Well, we'll put it this way. Whereas in Empire Strikes Back, he probably would have killed Moff Gergerod for not getting... For complaining right off the bat about... Um, Right. So he doesn't kill him. So therefore, it's a little bit different. I think it becomes more pronounced as we start to go into the movie. And when we meet the Emperor, we find out who the real puppet master is. Real face people. But, I mean, what would have been interesting is there was a deleted scene where, after this part, Darth Vader goes into his chamber and tries to contact Luke telepathically. I think that would have worked great because I, it would have shown that Vader has Luke on his mind more than anything. And if you started off with that obsession, I think the movie doesn't do a bad job with that. I just think if you would have started it right at the beginning like they intended to, it would have been a cooler idea. And then you have Luke in the hood and he's fixing his lightsaber and he's kind of got that dark look. You almost are like, all right, is Luke still good? Is Luke bad? Because he looks messed up right now. He looks like he's in turmoil. I see both sides to having and not having that scene. I, I think if you do have the scene, I think it adds more to the credibility that Luke senses good in Vader, that there's an inner struggle that's happening in Vader, I think that that adds a lot more. I think anything that you could do to add character to a character who cannot facially emote probably would help. And that's part of the problem with Vader is that he's under a mask. So it's hard for the actor to show emotion. I think it also would help with the fact that the Emperor doesn't sense when Luke comes to the moon on Endor. is because him and the father have this connection as Vader's trying to connect with his son that the Emperor doesn't have. And so I think if they would have left that in, that would have made it more sense why the Emperor didn't sense his presence. Well, I understand what you're saying, but considering that the Emperor didn't kill Darth Vader based off of the fact that Vader offered to rule the galaxy with Luke at the end of The Empire Strikes Back kind of just leaves that to, I guess, the Emperor can't. uh, He doesn't know all. Well, he doesn't know all, but he feels things. So maybe he didn't feel that, I guess. I forgot about that line in the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that's right. He's like, come rule the galaxy with me. Mm -hmm. I think it would start off the movie a little bit better with the father-son focus because that's what we left off with in the Empire Strikes Back. I think it just feels better that way, but I don't hate the way this movie starts. But compared to the other two movies, I mean, we have the battle scene, and and then we have the ice planet in the Empire Strikes Back. Here, we're just kind of like, oh, we're meeting the men and telling them to get on schedule. Kind of very blah. It's definitely a different way to start the movie, although it leads directly into probably the best part of the whole movie which is everything that takes place in Jabba's palace the best part of the movie is everything that takes place in Jabba's palace i mean there's two distinct poor portions of this movie the everything that happens on tatooine and then there's the end of the story that happens with the three battles there's everything that happened in 1983 and then there's everything that happens the special editions i should say The not-so-special editions? Let's just stick to the actual movie right now, whereas there's two distinct... Which one? Which actual movie? The 83 or the special edition? Oh, he's baiting you. He's baiting you, Ted. (laughs) Let's stick with the story as it goes right now. 
And so, like I said, there's two distinct parts of this movie. There's the Jabba's Palace and everything that happens on Tatooine. And then there's what happens on Endor and the space battle that occurs over Endor. Those are really the two distinct parts of the movie. There's a lot of people that are on the side that say that the Jabba's Palace and Tatooine stuff is the best part of this movie. And there's a lot of people that like the second half of the movie better than the first half. It's almost like a Full Metal Jacket type of a thing where there's two really different parts of the movie. And they do feel different. Even the characters act different in these two sections. I like the Jabba's Palace stuff. I think it's a, it's unique. And yes, we'll stick to the 1983 version. What we get with Jabba's Palace, I think when you first meet Jabba the Hutt, He's menacing. I mean, he is a menacing figure. And that's, of course, before the specialized version of Star Wars that we see the bad CGI in Mos Eisley. So we had never got to see Jabba the Hutt before. We got to hear about him, but we never got to see him. I like the story that's told here that Luke and Lando and Chewie are trying to rescue Han to get him out. I think it's good. I enjoy the beginning of this movie. So is that all planned together? You've got Lando, you've got Leia that comes acting as the bounty hunter. Is that all part of the plan? When you start to get into the into the details of that, there's a lot of stuff that's covered in books that were written. Because it seems to me that Chewie and Lando's plan might not have worked. And so Luke and Leia came to help them, and then we get the plan that we have. Because Lando's now part of Jabba's crew. And that's always been something that's always made me wonder. Lando's known throughout the galaxy. Right, yeah. Why doesn't Jabba know who Lando is? It's part of that HR department, you know. They need to do the background checks that they're supposed to do. And uh, it didn't work out that way, I guess. It's one of those things that I've never quite understood. Unless he's Um, had that mask on the whole time and they just couldn't recognize him, which that... That in itself is kind of stupid, too. Right. I like when Leia's posing as the bounty hunter. Boosh, I think, that is what the, her name is. How does she talk in that language? Does she have, like, it's, a translator through, or something? Yeah, it's through a modulator, through the the mask. That's probably my favorite part of that is Leia sneaking Chewbacca in. But I think the plan itself sounds really stupid. First off, why doesn't Luke just come on in and just take him i mean he could do it with just him and the lightsaber for crying out loud and instead he comes in without a lightsaber and it's inside r2d2 did you plan the fact that you were going to fail get dropped into a pit with this monster that you're going to defeat by dropping a gate on him and then you're going to be taken outside and then you're going to get your lightsaber by r2d2 you know throwing it to it just doesn't make sense. All of that doesn't play out. Like, he uses the Force sometimes, and other times he doesn't use the Force. Like, shouldn't he be able to just use his mind to hit the switch and cl- close the gate? No, he has to pick up a skull and throw it like he's an infielder on a baseball team. There's just some, some things that I don't understand with Luke in this situation with them trying to save them. I just think it could have been so much easier than what it plays out to be. For the visual effects and for the actual enjoyment of the movie, it's fine. But when you sit down and think about it, it's one of the stupidest ideas of a rescue mission you can think of. 
a lot of things go wrong. I think we get a lot of Luke's impulsiveness where he doesn't think the whole plan through. I would imagine that he was anticipating that R2-D2 would have been in Jabba's throne room, not sent to the sail barge. And I think that's just one of those happy coincidences that happens that it all works out. They don't want to attract a whole lot of attention. So if Luke goes in there and, and wrecks house and just basically kills everybody, not only is that a dark side move. He's got to think, and, though, that it's going to be a fight because is he really giving away C-3PO and R2-D2? Well, he thinks that he can use the Jedi mind trick on Jabba. And when Jabba is a part of the huts, they're immune to the Jedi mind trick. Oh, they're not weak-minded. Right. It only works on so, the weak-minded. Okay, I have to ask, is Pizza the Hut part of the huts? Yeah, so is the short space balls. Come on, Pizza um, the Hut. If you really start to overthink it, their parts of it do fall apart. However, I think a lot of it, I think, is impulsiveness. That's quintessential Luke. Luke was a very impulsive type of a person, and it just so happens that they're able to, through their sheer ability to work together, they work this all out and survive. But it almost fails spectacularly. If one thing goes wrong, they're crap out of luck. You know, the one thing this movie reminds me of is of all the James Bond movies where the villain <laughs> could kill James Bond in right. a heartbeat, but of course, no, it's a spectacular death where we're going to walk him off the plank into the, the pit yeah. of sorrow or whatever it's, it is. It's either that or they take them as prisoners. They don't right. kill them right away. They're, they could just execute them right there and then, but they don't. I mean, Darth Vader will go ahead and kill one of his admirals in a heartbeat, but if he gets somebody from the other side of the fence, he's going to just capture them and put them in a cell for a little bit and wait to see if they get out of it. It's your typical James Bond type of scenario, it right? Is. We really don't know what Jabba would have done with Chewbacca. What is he going to do with Chewbacca? He's I mean, collecting them. Really, I think he yeah. ends up has to kill them. I, I mean, oh, really? Like, no. Well, I mean, you don't see anybody else in prison. I mean, they they throw him and Han together because what you want to do is you want to put two people that oh, are of course you have to put know each together. other in in the same cell. I mean, that tells me there there's not more than one cell, or else they would have had them separated. They did that in the second movie too. Well, they, I think that, that makes more sense just because of how they were torturing them and getting Luke to come see them. But in this case, I don't think it makes any sense. It doesn't help that Lucas does, decides to change things from the 83 to for the special edition. And I'm going to borrow your line here from what you said earlier, Eric. Studio 54 is right, brought to life here at Jabba the Hutt's Palace. And it's atrocious. It's done for the kids. It's done for more figurines to be sold. It doesn't add anything to the movie. If you're going to do something to a movie, add something that has meaning to it. You can't tell me this is how you envisioned it. You can't tell me in 83 this is what you wanted to see. That's what he says, that he does these special editions, these add-ons, because this is what he intended for the movie to look like. And I'm calling bullshit on that. I think it's just a money grab. I think by this time... I think by 83 even, it's all about money and how do I get more money. It's not about artistic freedom or artistic vision. It's about money, money, money. I will give him this. I think with Star Wars and with Empire Strikes Back, I think a lot of the changes that were made were things that he might have really envisioned because a lot of it is imagination type of stuff, especially like 
all of the different characters when they're driving into Mos Eisley and all of the stuff that's added there. And in an empire, like the background scenes in Cloud City have more life to them. That's probably true. I agree with what, you on those, yeah. What he did with this movie, it's almost unforgivable. I hate to even call it musical number because it's horrible. And he took out the original dance section, the original band playing, that kind of was reminiscent of the cantina. It was very low-key type of a thing um, and replaced it with solid gold dancers. I'll never believe that this is what he envisioned, is when the one character's lips come forward. That's because when this was re-released, specialized, it was 3D. Ah, so wasn't 3D when he came up with this. And it's ridiculousness. The whole thing is garbage. There's not one part of this that he's added in Jabba's Palace that is worthwhile. It's trash. It doesn't need to be there. It should never have been changed. Boba Fett as the lady man. You know, yeah. that was <laughs> that was an original cut scene, though. I don't that was actually it. something that was there that just got re-added. That perfectly fine with that. But the whole dance thing, and they changed the band. It sucks, and, and it's horrible. On top of that, we when they go to the pit, you see the desert land. It's Full CGI, of- and it's it's terrible CGI. Right. I mean, there's no point of showing any of that. It looks horrible. It doesn't add anything to the movie. No, it's it, just a bunch of banthas. They're make in sense. the middle of the desert. There shouldn't be <laughs> yeah. life. My question here is, as far as the the difference, how about the pit itself. I mean, you have what I like to call Grutrude from Little Shop of Horrors. Rick Moranis fed it too much and it got really too big. And this is what it looks like. The original Sarlacc pit was scary. It looked real. Uh, it's here again. It's a practical effect. When he changes, starts to change it all, it no longer looks like a practical effect. It doesn't look scary. It doesn't look like anything that's menacing. I never even really gave it a thought of the little shop of horse, but you're exactly right. That's what those little, that little chomper thing that comes out of the middle, that's what it is. It's garbage. There was no point to change it. Here's something, too, that's left out. And if you want to keep stuff that you would originally had in the script that you're going to add back in, there's two things here with the Jabba's Palace thing. And that's separate from the Darth Vader trying to commune with Luke in the Force. At the beginning of here, before they send R2-D2 and C-3PO into Jabba's palace, we see there's a cut scene of Luke finishing up creating his own new lightsaber. And that's a huge deal because that's one of the final things that somebody who's becoming a Jedi does is create their own lightsaber because that's how tough it is to do. So he cut that out like a sign that that Luke's now a, a legitimate Jedi. By the way, did he get a manual for that? How does he know how to put a lightsaber together? He's communing, no doubt, through the Force with Yoda. And when he sees Obi-Wan, it seems like that they hadn't been in contact with each other. In contact, since he knew about his father. I would imagine that this is something that he had either discussed prior to leaving. It was one of the things we didn't see in training. Or he's been communing with Yoda through the Force. So he finishes up that. But then... After they've blown up Jabba's sail barge, there's a scene after that that's cut. The sandstorm? 
there's a sandstorm scene that explains a lot about where Luke's going, where they're going, and you kind of get this whole feeling that Lando's thanking Luke for coming and, and saving his bacon. And where is that scene? Takes place on a landing pad on Tatooine. Here again, it's maybe a few minutes, but it was something that was shot. They didn't like the way it was shot. And so Lucas took it out. Perfectly fine. Add that back in. You don't need to add stuff just to be adding stuff. And this is not the only time he does this with this movie, because we'll talk about a couple other times that he changes things that significantly change the tone and the feel of the movie. And you said it was all about toys. There's parts of this movie that were about toys, yes. But I don't think that they were able to resell any figurines or anything for the new musical number. I had the original Max Rebo band from Return of the Jedi. I had the full band figurines. I did I remember seeing the, the newer figures out, so I do know that they were, were being sold. Of course, he didn't you know mess with Leia's outfit. I mean, as an 11-year-old, it, I didn't really care much, but throughout the decades, it's, you know. Well, it's become iconic. It's iconic, I mean, yeah. Friends really did a lot to resurrect that, too, with the whole Ross and Rachel thing, and that was Ross's fantasy. Fantasy, so. right. <laughs> it's just any nerd's right. fantasy, basically, it sounds like. I do like the fact that Leia is the one, though, that kills Jabba. It's the right thing, especially when Jabba kills the dancer from earlier in the movie, which I was happy to find out that the dancer from the original 1983 and the, the one from the special edition, same actress. Yeah. They just yeah. brought her in. They wanted to get some close-ups to get her more of a reaction to about getting ready to be eaten. I think having Leia kill Jabba is the right move there because th there's no reason for Luke really to kill him. And there's no, and maybe for Han, maybe, but Han kind of deserved what he got from uh, Jabba. I mean, he didn't pay him back. He was supposed to pay him back. Can't blame Jabba for what he did. But with Leia making her as a slave, and I don't know how that would work between... A hut and a human get it on, okay? It's just... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. They didn't go into any of that in the books. Not, none of the books that you read didn't go into that? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> oh, boy. None of the spinoffs? That's, okay. that's a whole different set of books. And I think it's important for her to be that way, because I think in Star Wars, she's a badass. In Empire okay. Strikes Back, I feel we lose a little bit of the badass because of all the things that are happening to Han. It's all about the romance, and she loses a little bit of that strength that she shows in the first movie, and I think this shows her strength again. She's the one that goes in and tries to free Han by pretending she's a bounty hunter. Kind of stupid to kind of, like, have a long conversation and a make-out session while trying to rescue you. <laughs> you should try to get out there as soon as possible. But I, I like the fact that they make her a strong character again. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a lot of things I really, really enjoy about Jabba's Palace stuff. Like I said, I love the fight. How When Luke does take control and he's beating everybody up on the sail barges, I didn't like the way what they did to Boba Fett. The comic you know. relief with Han Solo? Boba Fett? Yeah. Where? Boba, Boba Fett? Fett? Yeah. I, I kind of dug Boba Fett. Every dork loved Boba Fett, but his demise is not really fitting of a, a badass that's why we're no, happy I, we got I, something like the book of Bubble Fett yeah, to kind of exactly. correct that. I think they did a good job of doing a lot of that. I like how this goes. I love the ups and the downs of this, and I like the whole feeling of like a cantina scene. You get to see different aliens and 
things. And I like the Rancor, too. We talk about how cool things look now that they're in 4K. Unfortunately, what in 4K, what's happened to the Rancor scenes, you could really tell it's stop-motion animation with the Rancor. And it almost looks like the Frosty the Snowman, Harry Hanhausen. Yeah, uh, what you're about. animation from that you see around Christmas time. Yeah, it 4K looks, will it, do it, that to some of the older movies. Yeah, it doesn't look nearly as good, but if you can see the older versions, it looks much cleaner. It's not nearly as stop motion looking. And also, when if you when you have 4K, it takes a scene like when Luke has a bone in his hand that he's going to put into its mouth. You go from a really nice, clear picture of 4K to a grainy look, and right there you're like, uh, that, that doesn't look so bad, good. it's bad green screen. Now, I wish he would have been able to fix that, and for some reason it doesn't happen. I don't know, maybe, maybe 96, 97 t- technology doesn't really translate yet well for that. Now we're up to 4K technology, and you got the Disney+. Plus. They clean it up even more for their release. I mean, every time you have a release, they clean up a little bit more and a little bit more. Unfortunately, it's taking and it's highlighting things that were even more easily hidden with the older technology. I still like the Rancor thing. You said he doesn't use the Force to kill the Rancor. I think he uses the Force when he throws the skull and hits the button. I think that's... I don't um, see the force being used there, but I, like I said, he could have just flipped the switch with his mind. He didn't have to pick up anything. And then you have the, I guess, the caretaker coming out and crying like a little baby. You know, cries, is that Ron Carey? No. It looks like Ron no. Carey. It's like his dog just died, dude. Pretty much. I mean, it's his pet. Yep. Pet that so, ate people. Yeah. I have, na- I have neighbors that have pets like that. So Luco's visit Yoda. And Yoda has aged drastically in the last year. He's basically on his deathbed, which makes me think that Luke wasn't in contact with Yoda either because he would have seen that Yoda was ill. And maybe Luke is not really strong with the Force. I'm wondering if you project as a Force ghost or if you mentally reach out to somebody like that, that it takes some of your Force life away. I mean, It has to. I mean, look at what happens in The Last Jedi. Right. I mean, back then we didn't know how that would have worked, but now it seems like if you use that, then it uses some of your force powers. And I'm wondering if that's why Obi-Wan doesn't always pop up and show up because he can, he's, he's limited to how much of the force he can use to project a force ghost. That's what my maybe. reasoning there. And maybe it's stronger where places like where Yoda's at, it's easier for them to project there. I, I don't know. It's a very interesting farewell to Yoda. Uh, I think originally they weren't going to even bring Yoda back, but they wanted to reiterate that Darth Vader was his dad, and he needed to get that from somebody else other than Vader. And you had to close the circle. You had to finish off Luke going, at least going back to Dagobah to see Yoda again. It's a transitional scene. It's sad that Yoda passes on. Here again, he reunites with the Force. So here again, it, you kind of get a whiny Luke. It's kind of silly that Obi-Wan has to come to him and explain to him what... Oh, don't different, get me different started point, with that part. Uh, different, different points of view. Points of view. Oh, gosh, that's so bad I mean, writing. The bottom line is, is Obi-Wan did lie to him. About yes, he did, ev- directly. About everything that happened. So, I mean... And he could just said, I was trying to protect you. I mean, that's all you have to say. You don't have to say, I didn't lie to you. I was telling you the truth from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? <laughs> I mean, point of view. It's just, it's crappy writing. I mean, of how good the writing was in the second, in the Empire Strikes Back, 
it reverts badly well, into this look movie. Who, look who one of the finishing writers is. Lawrence Kasdan wrote the majority of the script, but George Lucas came in and changed what he wanted. Because we're getting to that point where he's starting to have ultimate control. I was going to say, do you think Lucas really directed this movie? I know he was second yeah. director credited, he, but I'm thinking he had more input as a director than... Well, that, you know who believe. else is uncredited as a director on this as well? Spielberg. Is Steven Spielberg. Technically, if Lucas would have continued to be part of the Director's Guild and everything, he would have had to have given Spielberg some credit. Well, that was his first choice, but he couldn't do it because of the Director's Guild. Yeah. It's been debated who they really directed a lot of this. This is not a killer. The whole Obi-Wan thing, I get it's it. It's not good. It's To me, it's an excuse-making. Trying too hard to close the circle and to explain why Obi-Wan lied to him, essentially. It's, this is the thing that Lucas tries to do all the time. And this is what the problem that the prequels run into is trying to explain how things went the way they did. In 1977, when the first movie was released, there was no idea this was going to be a trilogy. 20th Century Fox thought it was going to be a, a complete and utter bust. They gave it $11 million. <laughs> That's a lot of money, though, at that time. Well, I don't think Not it really. is. No, it really is. In 1977? Not really. They thought it was going to fail. They thought it was going to bust. I don't believe Lucas when he said that he had nine movies planned out. He had one long story, and he had to, had to cut it in three different pieces because it was too long, and that's where we got the first pieces, A New Hope. I think it's ridiculousness. I think he lies I think a it's, lot. Exactly. <laughs> this is what he tries to do for the rest of time, is to retcon things. Have everything try to equate to finish the circle, and to everything make it work. It covers his mistakes. Then he can go back and say, well, this is what I had originally had in planned. It exactly. wasn't this on the fly or anything <laughs> like that. I would have liked to seen no Obi-Wan at all. Just Yoda. Well, Alec Guinness would have liked that, but Alec Guinness also wanted that wanted the paycheck, and he had signed on for three movies. You should have kept him and not get killed in Star Wars, and then in Empire Strikes Back, he gets no, killed. The story works the way it does. It's just this you little so. explanation thing. It's awkward. The bottom line is... is what Obi-Wan should have done was been the conduit to come back and say, guess what? Leia's your sister. We <laughs> kept her hidden from you. We kept her hidden from everybody. That's all it needed to be explained. They didn't need to explain that, you know, from a certain point of view, I told you the truth. Might have told him he needed therapy to get over sister-brotherly issues. I mean, like you said, Alec Guinness was... You know, under contract, you had to have him do something. I guess we're fine and moving forward there. But why tell them that he has a sister? Why tell them that when they know he's not strong enough to keep it from the Emperor and, and Vader? It makes no sense for him to know about his sister. Well, it would have been better if it, it came from Vader. Ultimately, it does. Because that's what causes him to defeat Vader. I think that Yoda and Obi-Wan both know if he has a reason to defend somebody that he will be able to step up to the plate. I actually don't mind that at, at all. Um, I mind it a little bit just because, I mean, that's why we see Anakin go to the dark side uh, is because of him caring too well, much for. Well, okay. We can discuss that when we talk about revenge of the Sith. Sure. That there's whole nother problems. I mean, I he think, does give into his though, hate. He does give into his his well, anger and frustration, and that's not something that a Jedi is supposed to do. Luke is dressed all in black in this movie. 
Right, because he doesn't know which way he's going to go. Because there is an inner turmoil. I really don't want to have this particular argument now, but (laughs) this this is what makes The Last Jedi Luke work, is the fact that Luke said that the Jedi had to die. Because both sides are not right. And taking from both sides is kind of the path that Luke leads. That's why he's dressed in black. He doesn't know where he's going. To defeat the Emperor and Darth Vader, he did have to use some aspects of the dark side. And I get that. But my thing is, but that's not what Obi-Wan and Yoda believe. They don't believe that you can use part of the dark side to well, conquer that's what you, but the yes, light side. Yoda has come to, to realize that, and that's why he says what he says in The Last, the Jedi. Last, Je- Last Jedi as well. Sure. But that's the exact opposite of what he's saying here in The Empire Strikes Back. And he changes in Return his mind, Jedi. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, again, it well, comes back learning. to... Yeah, he's learning, but it also comes back to fixing things that you made mistakes on throughout the no, process. No, I, I, I think The Last Jedi takes a lot from Return of the Jedi. I think that's why it works, myself. But we've talked about way too much about a transitional scene. Oh, but it's it's kind of important, though, because of the fact, like you said, at the end, when he faces Vader, all this comes to light. I think even though it's a short transitional scene, we need it for the end, for the way he reacts, for the way he fights, and also for the way he, at the end, doesn't fight when he throws his lightsaber away, because he does remember Yoda's words and Obi-Wan's words. So we spent just the right amount of time. My my last problem, though, with this is the fact that there are just things that here in The Return of the Jedi, when Lucas goes back and does their prequels, he botches things up. Talks about Obi-Wan when he met Skywalker and took upon himself to train him and doesn't even mention Qui-Gon. I mean, it's, it's like we leave out these important things. Even Darth Vader doesn't know that Yoda might have trained Luke. He thinks it's Obi-Wan, even though Obi-Wan's dead. Oh, Obi-Wan is trained, taught you well. Didn't you kill him four years ago? How does he know Obi-Wan is still training him? I don't think that Vader knows about the whole Force ghost. I I don't think he does. I think that he thinks that Obi-Wan had been teaching him. A long time? From when when he was a child. That makes more sense. All the way through. That is the only thing that makes sense. The only problem I have with that is he knows earlier on that he's a novice. So in The Empire Strikes Back, when they're fighting, he knows he's not a true Jedi. But he also knows Obi-Wan's gone. So he's got to think somebody else has been training him from then till now. But then he finds out that it's a Skywalker and puts two and two together and knows that it's his son. I get that. But, I mean, he still has to have more additional training from when him and Luke fought the first time in Empire Strikes Back. That's the problem I have here is how is Luke training between each different movie? We just said it seems like... Obi-Wan and Yoda have no hands-on training with him between the movies. Yoda's dead now. Obi-Wan tells him, you know, he can lie anytime he wants as long as he tells it from a certain point of view. And and we just move on. Of course, they have that mini-reunion when they talk about how to attack the shield generator on Endor. I think it's interesting that Vader doesn't know the Emperor's plans as far as the setup, the trap. Do we think he keeps it from Vader because of his relationship to Luke? Yep. He knows I'd agree with that. that. Because with all Sith, an apprentice will at one point try to kill the master. And I think that he realizes that... 
that time is now. That, that that time has come is especially now that Anakin knows that he has a son, and if they're sitting there trying to convince him to go to the dark side, the Emperor knows that he's the odd man out in that particular equation. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And I think the fact that I think the Emperor feels and knows that, that there is a the conflict in Anakin is bubbling up. He's not a hundred percent on board. Emperor um, basically sets Darth Vader up to be possibly killed. Oh yes. Too, so he can get a younger a, no, a younger no, he, print, apprentice and, and he yeah, he definitely wants Luke to kill Vader so he can get a younger apprentice too. I think he uses the power of somebody younger to facilitate lengthening his life. Yeah, we get to see that more of the rise of Skywalker. But um, we have to talk about, unfortunately, Endor and little furry things, the little um, teddy bears that are running around on Endor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess they're given spears and, you know, nice little outfits. And uh, I'm not sure how they became warriors. I mean, I, I take it that there's other Ewoks and other locations and they're fighting maybe with those other Ewoks. I mean, how does this become a warrior tribe? And I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy them as warriors when Leia has to help one down off of a log. And yeah, true, right? Hold, and hold its hand and, and yes. walk uh, walk off to a, a, another area. What's the name of that one, Ted? Wicket. Wicket, Wicket. yes. That's yeah, right. The other little names, uh, too. That's Warwick Davis. One of his first roles, right? Or was yeah, it... it was his first role. Oh, really? He was, what, yeah. nine? He was young. Yeah, can't remember his exact age, but he was very young. And there's a lot of Deep Roy. Well, he is another famous small person who did. He was in the remake of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He played the Oompa Loompas. That movie kept there. me up at night. There's a bunch of famous small people actors that play Ewoks here. The Ewoks get a lot of crap because, in a way, yes, I think it was more of a toy decision. On Lucas's part, as far as how limited they are, they know how to use all of the environment to their benefit. And I think that plays a lot. Somewhat. I mean, some of those things are kind of like, how did you put that all together so quickly? The logs would come falling down. I mean, and then you had those mm -hmm. two logs that were hanging from the trees. When did you all have time to set all this up for this battle? And how did you know it was going to end up here? And then on top of that, I mean, well, we did mention that Kenny Baker was also supposed to be Wicked. He is, he, Wicked, he is but he one. got sick. I, I didn't is, think he was one of them. Yeah, he is. He is one of oh, the... I thought he got he's, sick he's, and couldn't play the player. He's got two different roles. I, I, it's not one of the major... Maybe he was sick at the time to play that role, and then right. the other was filmed later, and he was able to play it. I think you underestimate... And see, and this is the problem <laughs> yeah, with the, the Empire... They don't view them as any sort of a threat. No, but I think, like anybody who is coming in to your planet or your country and trying to set up shop, I think that they've been planning that something was going to happen. They didn't want the Empire there. Just think of all the stuff the Empire had to do to create the whole system. of. They would have started to plan and and scout things to make sure that if a battle does it does happen that it's not that big of a stretch the stretch is is that the stormtroopers are supposed to have some sort of armor right and, and they're getting hit with these arrows or the whatever arrows the beating to death that's okay <laughs> it's, the air, 
it's the arrows yeah. <laughs> that Teddy Ruck's been beating the hell out of you. It's the it's the arrows are kind of a problem. They're a little problematic. The, I, it's not just that. It's how they portrayed them even later on. Like when C three PO is telling the story about when they blew up the original uh, Death Star, and the looks on their faces are dead of Ooh, children. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and like yeah. little kids, not warriors. And then Han Solo hugs one like it's a teddy bear. What wow. I always wanted. And he's holding him like I always wanted this teddy bear. Not that he always wanted to be part of the tribe, but he always wanted a teddy bear. That's what I thought when he says that. And I see you're laughing, so I know what you know. You know I'm it's, right on that. I, I'll agree with you to a certain extent there. They My, do that for the kids. Part of it, but I also it's all for too, the kids. But it's also all for you, Damon. Too, you have to you have to think even Han underestimates them. Even after they've they've become part of the tribe, so to speak, Han still underestimates what they can do. Well, even Leia doesn't even take them seriously when, when he shows up and he pokes a stick at her. He's, she's just like, yeah, whatever. You want something to eat? Here you go. Here you go. Want a good old bar, little bear? Go fetch. <laughs> I, mean, I get what you're saying, Ted. I think I would have liked it better with Wookiees. I think it would have made a whole lot more sense with the original idea of Wookiees. It might not have been original idea. That might just be, again, no, Lucas. That's what it was. Okay, I just thought maybe it was Lucas you know, saying, hey, it was supposed to be Wookiees, but they told no, me I didn't have enough money. That's ridiculous because he fronted the entire budget for the movie. He didn't use any outside money to make this movie. This was all funded directly by him. He created the budget. So if he says anything that he didn't have the budget to make a Wookiees, that's all bull. Yeah. Because so why didn't he make them Wookiees? I think that Twice. he's starting to take full control. Not to listen to anybody who had criticism. And I think somebody probably came to him and said that, you know, we could sell teddy bears more than we could sell Wookiees. I think with having them be small like they are, because this movie does move relatively fast for two hours and 20 minutes. They have to establish really quick that they are beyond an underdog fighting here. I think their size and the fact that they don't look menacing. Because if you had a bunch of Chewbacca's running around, I think you have a different idea of big a mismatch this really was. Well, if you have a bunch of Chewbacca's, it looks like it's a bunch of Sasquatches running around the forest. Well, you would think that they would hold the upper hand. Yeah. I do kind of understand what he's trying to do there and saying, you know what? This is the mother of all underdogs. These are aliens that should have no shot of defending themselves from the Empire. Well, the reason why they have a shot is because the Stormtroopers don't know how to shoot. I mean, all the bad guys in this movie... Even if we go back to the barge uh, well, at the beginning of the that's movie. A, that's been a thing. With even Boba Fett, who's a bounty hunter, who's a badass, he can't even shoot anybody in that scene. All these bad guys have bad aim. But these little guys, they can throw rocks at you and knock you out. It's silly. I get what you're saying. I like the underdog aspect of it. I think they're just too cute and cuddly. I mean, if the Empire doesn't take them seriously, I can't take them seriously either. And I, that's my problem. I would have really liked to have seen the uh, Chewbacca's running around the planet. I think it would have made a, a much better statement than the the marketing aspect of the Ewoks, which I think is a huge power play. 
I don't think you'd be marketing Chewbacca's because they're not as cute and cuddly as the Ewoks were. I remember the Ewoks. They were everywhere in 83. I mean, everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere without some little kid having an Ewok. And I mean, me being like 9, 10 years old, I didn't really have any interest in the Ewoks. But boy, you get some kids who are a little younger and they were just, you know, love them. We had the cartoons if, and the and the TV oh, shows. Oh yeah, and, you know, and, and they this, probably this. had cereals too, if I remember. I don't yeah. know. They're all over the, the place. Caravan of Courage. You know what would have been a nice happy medium is if they both lived on the same planet. The Ewoks and the Wookiees would have been at war with each other. And then they came together to fight the Empire at the end. I think if you would have played it off that way, I could have bought that a little bit more than just having a bunch of little teddy bears running around. I mean, I, I, mean, the, I could see that. I was littler. I did like the Ewoks. Planet of the I mean, Ewoks. It, it, I mean, I was 11 at the time. I probably should have still liked you, you know, them, but I... It is, I mean, it is what it is. One of the problems that I have with the whole sequence on Endor, it's a little minor thing, but it's Chewbacca swinging on a rope and doing the Tarzan. That pisses me off. If he did the Tarzan yell, I would have had a problem with it, but... That's what he did. Uh Oh, does he does? I didn't... Yeah, yeah, I just said no. He did that in the original. As I grew up and got older, I was like, that's ridiculous how would he know to do that i don't like that i do like the fact that chewy and two of the ewoks take over the atst all of a sudden the odds get evened a little bit i liked it when that one yeah, ewok it, died though when then the explosion and it was dead i was like it's sad it made me cry as a kid and the other one's so, mourning over his body yeah yeah, sad. yeah. you heartless but, bastard you know, should, should have been should have been both of you i hate to tell you that but i like the battle sequence here but the part of this that i really like the most out of the last battle i love the pilots and the tie fighters and the f against the the rebels the rebel planes I think are the ships. I think that's really cool. You get a different perspective. You get them attacking the Star Destroyers. I love the shot with all the TIE fighters coming at them. That's great. And that's that's an iconic. And I think it helps also that at this particular time, um, George Lucas invented his own sound company that uh, THX. And he just invented that company because uh, I guess the first screening um, at a movie theater didn't did come out well with the sound so he had to come up with his own company and and now we're blessed with everything being in that type of sound whenever you go right. into a movie theater that's the first thing they test to play you that they're using that type of sound so i think that that's kind of cool but yeah it's it's a great part the only thing i have a problem with the fight scenes is actually when they get to the death star and somehow you have these x-wing fighters and the millennium falcon that moving free willy inside of a death star uh, it's <laughs> it's a little bit of a stretch half the death star is not even completed that's where they go in i get they... that but i mean they still have to make a lot of turns and, and everything just kind of fits right i know they had one little bumpy road where like oh that was close but they're going full speed and it's not like they have the best layout of where they're going they even say they don't even know where they're going they say just try to i think hook on the biggest energy source and then we're going to get there but they don't know how exactly they're going to get there that's a little too crazy like in the first movie at least with the new hope you are down the trench that makes a lot more sense here it doesn't make any sense to me but outside of this i love the battle scene i think it's really really cool i love the frame of the executor superstar destroyer crashing into the death star i think that's pretty neat too I like that you get to see all the different types of the rebel ships. It's a good battle scene. 
it breaks up the stuff on Endor really well. It sets the stage for the final lightsaber battle. I think when you have all three going at once, there's not a lot of time for you to get bogged down in any one particular section. And I think that that's what really makes it work. Should Han Solo have died in Return of the Jedi? Hmm. Well, considering he wanted uh, Harrison Ford wanted him to die in Empire Strikes Back, there was, I guess, a treatment of one of the scripts where Han died in in the Millennium Falcon in, uh, in the Death Star. I mean, he does have that line about, this might be the last time I see the Millennium Falcon. See, me, I would have liked almost kind of like the double funeral where, you know, Luke is grieving over both his father and Han, but then they get to celebrate the liberation. I think that would have worked well. I mean, later on, we, of course, get the the sequels. I still think you could have had Ben and all that stuff. I still think him and Leia could have had a child. And maybe we're more of a sucker for it now where our good guys die in movies now. Back in, in the 80s, you didn't have your good guys die because you know who wants to buy a han solo action figure doll that of a character that died already and i think that's why george lucas didn't honor harrison ford's request harrison ford wasn't under contract that's not why and he didn't kill off han because i don't think lucas was for sure that this was going to end with return of the jedi i think that he had every tent on making more star wars movies so I always I heard the exact opposite. I always heard the exact opposite from George Lucas. Like, he didn't want to do it. <laughs> He's George Lucas. Here's the thing. Lucas likes to tell stories. I think the truth of the matter is, is that Lucas didn't really care for all the backlash. Because there was some backlash that he got from Return of the Jedi. I don't think he liked the criticisms. And... I don't think he liked the pushback. And here's the thing, too. He devoted a lot of his time into Skywalker sound and cultivating those entire things. I mean, he started Pixar. It's not like he wasn't doing anything. I think a lot of some other things just took his time away from making more Star Wars movies. I think that he wanted to always keep the line open to coming back. But you didn't answer my question. Should Han have died? I mean, if you're not going to kill him off in Empire Strikes Back, why would you kill him here? I think you need an important character to die in something like this. I mean, you already had Obi-Wan in, in Star Wars. I guess, you know, losing Yoda. Yoda died. Or, I guess Yoda, Yoda died. But Yoda, Yoda didn't die in... Yoda died of old age. He didn't die in battle. I, I just but feel he like, died. Ken wants yeah. blood. Well, I want so, a little bit more realism. I want somebody out of the group to... to you lost I mean, Jabba. How's that? Here again, maybe if more this, Ewoks died, maybe I'd be okay with it. I don't know. That isn't the type of story you were telling. This is not a story that's steeped in realism. It's a fantasy. Here Would you rather have him die the way that he dies in The Force Awakens? Yeah, actually. I mean, kids do drive us to our grave. He's sacrificing himself to help his son. I'm not against the Ford. The only reason why I even think about it is because of Harrison Ford. And it just seems like Harrison Ford really just disliked being Han Solo. And it might be because of Indiana He's, Jones. No. What he says, if you believe Harrison Ford, here again, another person that likes to tell tales, it was the work that he did on Blade Runner that soured him on Star Wars. As he thought that the Blade Runner character of Rick Deckard was a more believable sci-fi character and he wanted more of a realism to his characters so here here again you take it take it how you want but that's what he said in the past 
I think that he was done with Han Solo. I think that's what made it abundantly clear. I don't think that necessarily you needed to kill him here. Maybe I, not, but it feels like that they're... The romance you can, seems a little killed here. You can tell there's parts of this movie, you can totally tell he's mailing it in. Yeah, it, it feels that way, especially when it comes to him and Leia, because I, I don't really buy it as, as much as The Empire Strikes Back. I don't feel the same thing. Like, when she goes missing, his worriedness, I mean, he should have been, like, freaking he's like, that's out. Just one of, he's like BFG. That's just one of the... <laughs> That's just one of the times that you can tell that he's just kind of mailing it in. I kind mean, of mailing it in. And then the yes. lines, like when they're when Leia finds out that Luke's her brother and he comes up there and, hey, what's going on? Oh, I just want to be alone. You know, just tell him that Luke's your brother. What the heck are you keeping a well, secret? Well, that's like? Lucas. That's Lucas not being able to understand how human beings interact with each other <laughs> yeah. i mean some of the dialogue comes off as wonky it's just lucas it's, it's, it's like the end when when he finally finds out leia tells him he goes oh you love him don't you he goes yeah he goes oh i won't be in the way wait a second don't you love her aren't you gonna fight for this girl no right. i won't be in the way no he's my brother and then she kisses him and he's got this look like wait a second you kissed him <laughs> That's the look I get. I, get that because that's been the joke for a long time. Especially it's, as you get older and older, you—that's how you look at things. Unfortunately, not but. really. I mean, oh yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. This is part of what I really hate mm. about the backlash to this. It's like, yeah, there are some things that are, I guess, funny like that. I don't find that amusing. People if you found out that your fun. best friend kissed his sister for, romantically, yeah. you would have a field day with it. I think the bottom line is there's a lot of people that want to put more on this than what is there. They're good stories. Are they the best? Are they the tightest stories? No. But is it a good time? Did you have fun? Is it enjoyable? Yeah. I mean, they are. They changed movies. They changed how science fiction is looked at. Did Harrison Ford mail it in a little bit here at the end? Yeah, he did. I don't necessarily like the way he acted, the whole idea of her telling him that I would have thought that there would have been more shock. But here again, we're dealing with Ross Marquand was not a movie director. And George Lucas, we've established, doesn't understand how human beings interact with each other and never wanted to do more than one take on any particular scene. So what you got was what you got. But why do you give it a pass for that? That's what I'm, I'm saying here is I think because you give it a the pass. Because the whole is greater than these individual mm -hmm. little problems. Let's look at it this way. I mean, you have Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Iconic. Both of these movies are great movies. This movie is not dumb. This movie is a good movie. You know, there's a lot of things I do like about it. The lightsaber scene between him and Vader is awesome. And the music in the background for that is awesome. I would say that is just as good as The Empire Strikes Back. It's that good. But there are serious issues with this. And it's I feel like George Lucas, I'm not saying he didn't mail this one in, but this, this movie feels more like a money grab than it does a vision uh, of an artist. I, I just... I disagree. Ultimately, I think he was trying to wrap up the story because, I mean, when he stepped away from this, he said that there were many other movies he wanted to make. Well, he ended up not making any of them. He never directed uh, and, again and, until the it's, And it's part of it's part of it's his own doing because of the feuds that he forged in making these movies. 
He was kicked out of the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild. He's a difficult man to work with. Yes, extremely. Is Return of the Jedi the least of the three? Yeah, probably. Does it have issues? Yeah, but there's a lot of movies that we've talked about that have that have issues. I don't think these are glaring things. I think when you start to really get down to the real minutia of of things, I think you could pick apart anything. I just don't think this movie holds up as well as the other two movies throughout the years. And that's because of the prequels, just well, the fact see, that the other two movies are more superior. Well, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't let the other movies, as far as prequels and sequels go, dictate how my enjoyment of Return of the Jedi. Now, I love the music here, and this is the same thing throughout all three movies. John Williams is, I've said it before, I think I said it when we we were discussing Star Wars, he's going to go down as like Mozart and Beethoven. That's how influential John Williams is going to be viewed. Star Wars may be forgotten centuries from now, but his music and the music around Star Wars will live forever because that's how good of an of a composer John Williams is. We're going to the last my last criticism of the special editions is they changed the end of the movie. I like the original song at the end of the movie, but they changed it where they added in scenes from every different planet celebrating the death of the emperor and everything and so they changed the song it's no longer the original song was is called yubnub and it was just strictly was the ewoks and them celebrating on endor how everything went i love that song too i just listened to it before we started the podcast yeah i i loved it i'm not saying the new one is bad because here again it's still john they had john williams come back in and put new music on it's just it's just not what I was what I was It used doesn't to. fit though with like them banging on the helmets of the stormtroopers. It doesn't. I like the end the the crescendo at the end when yep. the choir at the end that goes up high. It wraps everything up whereas the other right. music doesn't. It just it's right. it's pleasant. I don't see why you couldn't have a little bit of both in them when you're playing that maybe at the death scene or um, when they're celebrating at those other cities that you mentioned, but then go to the actual song right. when they're celebrating on the planet. I mean, I agree a hundred percent. And it's just like the specialized editions. You have the last thing that Lucas added was as Darth Vader's throwing the emperor down the, the shaft no. and, and killing him. He, they add the no It's not needed. <laughs> it's bull. It's ridiculous. I don't mind the first note. It's that second I, I long like, drawn I, out note. Yeah, I don't like. I don't like any of them. He doesn't <laughs> need to say anything. It's the only time a guy with a mask you can actually feel him in, put emotions through his body actions. It actually works. You don't need any of it. And this goes against what I was. I just said like five minutes ago that you can't judge this movie based off of the prequels or the sequels. So what did Lucas do then? He went and changed the final scene. He went and changed the force ghosts that appear because everything now is in balance. Not really. It's not in balance. It's now all the, the Jedi have won. And so you get the the satisfaction of knowing that Anakin was redeemed. He's been sent to Valhalla like a good Viking through his funeral pyre. And he communes with Obi-Wan and Yoda. 
And instead of having the original actor do it and finishing it up. They bring Hayden back. Yeah. They they put Hayden Christensen in there. So you no, have not a, only did they put him in there, eye. they just put his head on there. The rest of the body is the original actor. They just put the head on top. He looks like he still wants to kill everybody around him. Do you ta- do you take a look at him when he's like yeah. he's eyeing people? He looks yeah. like he wants to. Yeah, I killed some yeah, young, it's, younglings. It's, it's I'm going to kill some of these Ewoks right now because they look like younglings. But you see, here's the thing. This is my beef with it. That Anakin fell. That Anakin died, in my opinion. I'll agree with Obi Wan. That Anakin should not be celebrated. The Anakin who redeemed himself and came back to the light is the one that should be redeemed and used as a force ghost. And it should be the older Anakin because he's the one that came back. That particular Anakin died. What it should have been, it should have been David Prowse to begin with as the original Darth Vader. There's no reason why you couldn't have had him. You know why he wasn't there? Because he'd been sued by Lucas. Because he was selling pages of the script to the British tabloids. The he, was, he was leaking. He was leaking a bunch of stuff. Was the, he doing that because because Lucas went against his word and yeah. decided to go with somebody else? No. Because that's he, what I heard. I, I heard he that was Lucas under, went... He was under the impression that he was going to get to do the voice and everything. We don't want to hear his voice. He started to have a beef early on in the original star Wars. And he thought that he was not being treated right. So he decided to do all this. And he, actually he ended up being sued. Just leave it the way it was. You don't yeah. have to mess around with it up until the moment that he sold it to Disney. He was dicking around with these movies and changing them unnecessarily. If you're going to do that, do it to all three characters, make Yoda younger Bring Ian McGregor in for Obi Wan. If you're going to do it, do it all three. It just looks well, yeah, awkward. Exactly. It, it just looks awkward when you do it to one and not all three. Like you said exactly. earlier. Exactly. Why isn't it Ewan McGregor? Yeah, I have a big problem with with the ending here, unfortunately. But it is what it is, and I think it's unfortunately time to go to our reviews. Would you guys agree? I would agree, definitely. I've been a little quiet on this one here. You've probably noticed, and there is a reason for that. Ted definitely mentioned that this movie compared to the other two, is probably not on par. I would agree. It is not on par. Uh, This movie, for me, besides the end battle scene, is really a major disappointment. Yeah, when I first saw it, I was 10 years old. I loved it. You can't go wrong. You're not really looking at it for theatrical backgrounds and writings and directing and all that stuff. You're looking at it through the eyes of a 10-year-old, and you're loving it. But... I wouldn't even say analyzing this, the movies or the series, but just looking at the movie just on par of a movie, it's all over the place. And I agree with Ted and I agree with with Ken. I think part of this movie is a money grab by George Lucas. And I think the other part is him trying to possibly end the series and rushing it. I don't know where the hell he's coming up with some of these uh, extra scenes he's put in here that we've discussed. Some of these things are just, what in the hell were you thinking, Mr. Lucas? I know Ted is probably going to analyze this on two different aspects, the original and then the the modified special edition. But I'm just going to look at it as a movie in general. I watched both of them. I actually watched my uh, my VHS version. And yeah, you can clearly see the additions in this movie really have no merit 
whatsoever. So I'm going to look at it based on the original, the 83. When I when I saw this movie, and I really love this movie. And Ted, you mentioned that compared to the other two, this one had the worst added scenes of the three, and I would agree. I'm not sure what Mr. Lucas was thinking by adding these scenes, but he did. So if you can get a copy of it that is not a special edition, cherish it and watch it and love it. But this movie, compared to the other two, it, it still kind of let me down. I thought everything was just kind of all over the place. I am not real fond of the Ewoks. I'm not real fond of that whole Endor scene. That's a good probably, what, 45 minutes of the movie right there with Endor. That really bumps it down for me. Overall, it is Star Wars, so you got to give it some merit. But this one, for me, is a solid B-. And it was teetering on C-plus there for a while. I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm I'm going with a B-. minus. How about you, Ken? See, this movie I, I'm torn about because there are things I really like about it, but there are some things as I got older, and that's why I said earlier, I don't think it holds up as well as the other two because it does get a little silly. The dialogue is not as good as The Empire Strikes Back. In the original Star Wars, the dialogue wasn't great, but it comes off being Casablanca compared to Return of the Jedi here. I, I didn't even mention this earlier in, in the podcast, but... When C-3PO is over at uh, Jabba's palace and, and they're at the big gate, which that was also CGI to be bigger in the special edition, he introduces him in R2-D2 and the difference in the language is by adding another syllable. That was it. That's kind of how I feel about this whole movie. There are things put in here for really no good merit, which I think makes the movie sometimes hard to swallow. I do think... The movie's a little long. I think you could have cut this down about 15 minutes. I think a little less Endor would have gone a long way. I like my idea about Wookiees and Ewoks, you know, living on the same planet and being at odds with each other and come together to help the Rebels. I think that How about this been... one, Ken? How about more of the Ewoks actually eating people? Oh, if you saw, like, skulls and bones around their, their area. And they're sitting there munching on, you know, the, yeah, I mean, because yeah. they were going to roast uh, Skywalker and, and uh, Solo, Solo yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. let's let's see him. Uh, hey, by the way, what, if Skywalker can um, make C-3PO fly through the air, how can he not untie those ropes? You could do that to C-3PO, but you can't get untied. He's Which trying are, not to scare the Ewoks. I you know, guess so. They're sensitive. And, and C-3PO says things like he can't be uh, impersonated deity, but he does it two times after he says that. It's like, again, like I said, the dialogue is a little bit off on this one. Like I said earlier, when Han Solo says something, I don't know if I'll ever see, I, I have a bad feeling that I'll never see you know, the ship again. Maybe there should have been something that happened. Maybe the Millennium Falcon should have been blown up. Maybe Lando dies a hero. There's just some things that I think could have worked a little bit better here. But it's still a good movie. I'm just being nitpicky because the other two are so good. But I can't also give this one a pass because the first two are good. I mean, the expectation is set. You have Star Wars, iconic. Empire Strikes Back, iconic. You want that third one to finish off really strong. And I feel like it just misses. I'm teetering between a B and a B+. If I was just doing a special edition, it would definitely be a B. But I'm going to oh stick with Oh, my God. The... You give the special edition a B? I would give a special edition a B, yeah. Wow. I mean, okay. Because I, without the special edition, the original format, I would go with the B+. It is close to being a B, but I still enjoy it a lot. However, out of the three movies that we've just done, by far, this is the one that I watched the least. 
I'll rewatch Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, but Return of the Jedi, I don't know the last time I rewatched it before this podcast. But I'm going to stick with my guns. B+. All right, Ted, bring us home. I understand exactly all of the criticisms. I think Return of the Jedi gets probably a little over-criticized and over-critiqued. Being that this was the first Star Wars movie that I saw, I saw it in a theater, it has a special place for me, personally. It is a movie that I watch, when I watch Star Wars, I watch the original trilogy, and this is in there. Are there parts, definitely, that I think could have been better? Of course, especially throughout the years, that you know, that as time has went by. I'd be lying if I said I didn't notice that there are issues, but... I still take it as the whole, I still love the journey that it takes us on. I think it's a good end. One of the things that I really didn't even get to talk about is I don't necessarily like the way that they kind of sold out Darth Vader. I know he has to turn back to the good side, but he's not as evil as he was. And in the meantime, though, the, the Emperor makes up for that. He's definitely a different character. The problem that I have here with... Return of the Jedi, and I have to give it two separate grades. The Lucas messing around version, supposedly the specialized versions, and then you have the original. In my opinion, the original is its the best version of the movie. Nobody will ever be able to convince me that the specialized versions are better. The specialized version of this movie is a C. I think Lucas did more to ruin this movie than he did to help it by all of the changes that he made. Some of it are just almost inexcusable. But the original cut movie that came out that was in the movie theaters originally and on video originally, it's an A- minus for me because I still love this movie. Is it as good as Empire and Star Wars? No. It's a definitely at least a half step down for me, and that's why it's an A-. minus. Uh, here's the thing, even a bad Star Wars movie is better than a lot of other stuff that's out there. And then that's how I approach it, because I love the series. And there's a certain part of Return of the Jedi that takes me back to childhood. And I think that that's what really connects it for me a lot. That's where I fall. I, overall, the original cut is an A-. minus. Unless you absolutely can't find a version, an original cut version of this movie why you would ever want to watch the specialized versions of this movie. Okay, well, that's uh, pretty easy to agree with there. I think uh, if you can find the original cut, definitely watch it. Stay away from the special editions, unless you're looking for a laugh or you want to do a side-by-side comparison, maybe that would be good. I will say this. I wish we would have touched a little bit more on the Darth Vader character not being as strong as the other two movies because of the fact that he's not as menacing. But like you said, Ted, the Emperor kind of replaces that. And that's, I guess, a good thing. But I mean, it would have been nice to have maybe Vader kill somebody in this movie just to kind of show that he could still kill somebody. Get him kill an Ewok? Kill an Admiral or something like he normally does. Ian McDermott is a gem. I mean, Ian McDermott is great as the Emperor. That he is. He's really good in that part. And, I, yeah, we failed to really talk about how he really owned that role. We talk about Darth Vader being such a menacing presence. I'm not saying he one step above Vader, but he's right on par, I think. The thing I would have liked to have seen was 
maybe him actually killing somebody himself. You know, we see Vader killing admirals left and right in Empire Strikes Back. Maybe if we have the Emperor come in and, and kill one of the admirals when he when he shows up, you know, to set the tone, that would have been kind of cool. But I'm happy we just touched based on it just a little bit. I know we ran out of time to talk about it more, but it, it does make a big difference. And I still think adding that first scene with him trying to telepathically talk to Luke, I think would have gone a long way in establishing that as well. I agree. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Hooked on Movies. Appreciate everyone for listening. What are we going to be doing next, Ken? We're going to be doing a Spike Lee series, and we're going to start it off with Do the Right Thing. Right. Danny Aiello, Spike Lee and the gang there for Do the Right Thing. I haven't seen that movie in 20 years, so I'm looking forward to watching that one again. Ted, where can they find us on the World Wide Web out there? Well, we can be found on Twitter at HookedOn underscore movies. And whatever podcast platform that you're listening to us on, if you can, leave us a five-star rating. Don't forget to click subscribe. Um, and leave us a review because all the reviews add up. And hopefully, once we reach a certain level, if we have enough reviews, we might become Rotten Tomato certified. How about rich? that? Rich and famous. I don't know about yes. that. but Take over the world. It would, <laughs> it would still be cool to be Rotten Tomato certified. All right, Ken, Facebook. Join us on our Facebook page, Hooked on Movies. We talk about the movies that we just reviewed, and we also talk about other movies that you find interesting, that we find interesting. So go ahead and join us and, uh, you know, throw some discussion uh, topics out there. We love to discuss it with you. Great. All right, well, that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you once again for listening. As always, I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. Use the force, Luke. <laughs> See you next time at Hooked on Movies. Mm-hmm.